0: Come on Jimmy, who, who are you going to fight against when this balloon of yours goes up? Forces of anarchy, wreckers of law and order, see? Communists, Maoists, Trotskyists, Neo-Trotskyists, Crypto-Trotskyists, Union leaders, Communist Union leaders, <laughs> see? Atheists, agnostics, long-haired weirdos,
1: short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government, hug the government, love, the government,
0: hug the government, love, the government, hug the government, love the government. Thanks for being with us, Oli. I got lots of questions to ask you, um, but I want to begin with um, your background interests. Um, your your book is uh, a philosophy of dirt. That, have mm-hmm. I got that right? Yeah. And you want to talk about? You, in that you talk about the concept of dirt from a variety of philosophical mm-hmm. angles. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what was your motivation for this project? What fascinated you with dirt?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I mean, still thinking of my background, I, uh, I would say, generally, I think philosophy is about making sense of human life and, um, well, the world and how we, as it were, relate to the world, how we, how we, how we as people make sense of the world we are living in. So in that sense, I would think philosophy is very much about describing the way we think. So it's not about, say, um, finding good definitions, or it's not about telling people what to do, but it's about making sense of human life, which is so complicated. And um, then at some points you find people doing things which are completely unscientific, and which might strike you as completely irrational but they do these things and uh clearly they understand what they are doing. Um I would say this dirty and clean distinction is is one of these things which is very dominant in our lives but which is completely unscientific and and, uh, and so you might ask what are we doing when we, we uh, when we make this distinction. Now especially when i was starting this work uh, friends and others were asking me why i was doing it and they would ask if if you can really do philosophy about a thing like that but i would say this is a very good topic precisely because as a concept in a sense it's not streamlined if you like i mean it's not one of the standard concepts of science and it's not the concepts one of the concepts you would choose to use if you were if you wanted to outline a kind of rational philosophical worldview so it's an interesting concept because because of course the contrast between clean and dirty is everywhere in our lives you can't imagine a human culture without something like that contrast and still uh, it it has been so completely shut out from all kind of theoretical thinking
0: it's it's something that uh, is is Universal, or at least the opposition between clean and dirty, is something that is universal. Mm. Um, I, I, I do want to mention something to you, and that is you. You, uh, this is the anecdote. I think when you, when you, um, you're quoted as saying uh, uh, when you went into the uh, w- when your child was born. I think you were yep. in S- Swansea and uh, in Wales, and uh, and I quote. Uh, we were shown into the delivery room, where the floor was adorned with a carpet. A carpet? <laughs> uh, you note that uh, carpets in delivery rooms are not to be thought of in Nordic countries. So, I, uh, I would ring. Uh, what is, was that also a spark to you thinking about this philosophically?
1: Well, I mean, of course, it was at, at that time. I was thinking of these things, so it just struck me as such a uh, strange contrast and by the way now for your information i mean the 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 hospital where we were was extremely well organized extremely clean and extremely nice so i mean i think uh, actually it was much better than than what we had at home when when our second child
0: <laughs> okay so is a, is a uh, well i suppose there was a cultural uh, relativism there was there with regard how cultures treat dirt
1: one thing that strikes me when when I uh, travel in different countries is that there are these differences in how they think of the as it were, difference between outdoors and indoors. Because in some countries you take off your shoes when you come in, in others you don't. Um, of course, it's partly to do with, with the weather too. Also, uh, in a way, uh, I mean, a carpet for me, would be something you would usually have uh, not in a public uh, space.
0: Did you find, Ollie, that dirt is something that is unacknowledged in the history of philosophy or as a philosophical topic? As Was it something that you had to investigate more, or is it something that's overtly studied, or is it something a bit more covert?
1: No, more covert definitely. If you look at uh, modern literature now, you find you don't find a lot, especially you don't find a lot about it in what I would call the English-speaking mainstream. Um, And I think this is mainly due to the kind of role that natural natural science has got as a model for philosophical thinking. Because, of course, uh, that is not a physical concept, it's not a a chemical concept you don't find it in physics and chemistry books. So, um, if the idea is that in order in order for you to find out what kinds of things there are in the world, if the if the idea is that in order to find out that you go to the scientist, sure. then of course you don't have. Uh, then of course the, the the concept of dirt falls out of the picture completely. And then I would say in in the kind of tradition known as as the continental philosophy, there's some more interest generally in the kind of material environment, uh, which in, as it were, material environment understood outside science as the kind of material environment where we live. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of people like Sartre and Heidegger. And of course also the everyday environment would be more interesting to, to people who write uh, about aesthetics. Now I don't, I'm not aware that there's a huge amount of, uh, work specific, space. sorry. I have I mean, trouble
0: with that one as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not aware that there's any huge amount of, uh, work specifically on dirt and cleanliness in continental philosophy either, but, but, uh, it sometimes has a kind of emphasis on everyday life and the everyday environment, sure. which, which, of course, uh, is relevant. Here. And, I mean, I, I was actually thinking of, of another concept, which, which is, I think, uh, which is uh, interesting, in this connection. In continental philosophy and to some extent in geography, there's some discussion, at least, uh, about uh what constitutes a place because now a place is something different from just a geographical area or or, a geometrical spot in space Uh, for instance as a person you come from a place and you can own a place you can be shut out of a place and you you can put your things in a place so that's a kind of so it's not something which you would uh, define Geometrically or geographically, Um, that's a kind of network of human activities, and then the place is a kind of nodal point in that net. If you like, so so in this sense, a place is something something which is more more than just physical. It's something uh, which is both physical and social, or a part of social life. and you wouldn't really understand what the place is un- unless you have both parts of this picture. And I think something similar uh, applies to, to the concept of dirt. It, it's something physical, but also at the same time, um, we we would not really understand what it is unless we understood the kind of life which, which plays out around it.
0: Okay, so then... Um When you were doing your research, uh, when you were looking into these 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 philosophers, um, what who were the who were the key thinkers that you thought informed you most, or that you thought had considered the nature of dirt?
1: It's interesting that historically, dirt was recognised as a topic quite early. So actually, Heraclitus, who was um, one of the first. very early Greek philosophers wrote something about it. But perhaps it's best to start with Plato, who actually identified dirt as a, as a problem or as a kind of stumbling block for his own enterprise. That makes sense. Yeah, because he asks, you see this, because because in, in one of his dialogues, he asks whether dirt has a form. Now, of course, uh, Plato is known for what's often called the Doctrine of Forms, um or doctrine of ideas uh, the forms were quite central for him for many reasons one was that b- without the forms you can't really think or at least you can't you can't think of anything universal uh, you can't think of general concepts you can't use concepts like human being uh, so we understand that two human beings are the same that is they're both human beings because we understand that they have the same form sure and similarly, we 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 uh, see that two geometrical drawings are the same um, figure because they represent the same form, the circular form. So that's one thing. You can't so forms are like concepts.
0: So does does dirt present a problem to Plato?
1: Yes, because then that's this other point he's making. Uh, because the forms are also a uh, kind of ideals of perfection. So no one has ever seen an actual perfect circle, and if you try to draw one, you never succeed. Um, But you can see that your circle, your drawn circle, is not perfect. Precisely because you have this idea of what the circular form is. So the perfect, the the circular form is, in a sense, the perfect circle. And the perfect circle is, in a way, a more real circle than any circle that you would want to draw. So the forms were concepts but they were also ideals or forms of perfection. And now then the next question for Plato is so does dirt have a form and what would that be like? And could you imagine perfect dirt?
0: But then of course That's just to be really dirty.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the point is of course dirt is precisely one of the many ways in which things are not perfect. It's imperfect, yeah. Yeah, so, so, uh, so it would be like, um, falling short of the form, falling short of perfection. So is there a form for, for formlessness, as it were? He was, uh, he was asking the same question about other things which he called, which he called the other. Basic question being, do only good things have forms or do bad things have forms too? Uh, is, is, uh, um, is, uh, badness just Lack of goodness. And he did not really come to a final answer, I think. But generally, he seems to have gone for the solution that only good things have forms. And dirt is bad. Yeah. And of course, that is dirt is bad. I mean, that generally, I mean, that must be more or less the starting point. I mean, you can't understand dirt unless you somehow see that It's not meant to be there. Okay. Now we have Plato here. And he, of course, was very important for the, actually for the emergence of of European science in in the 16th century. Partly because he had high regard for mathematics and geometry, which was then, which then became central. And so one consequence of this was that physical reality was treated as, treated as something basically geometrical. So Descartes has this idea of of, of uh, reality as of, of physics as a kind of uh, applied geometry really this basic approach was o- also taken over by empiricist philosophers such as John Locke um, he argued for what is known as the theory of primary and secondary qualities um, which still of course is held by many many thinkers and scientists. And that means that, for instance, the kind of quality that we would perceive as temperature is really just movements of tiny particles. All we, all we have here, all we need here is just geometrical things moving. So on the one hand, there is physical reality as it is, which is geometrical. And then on the other hand, there are human beings who just um, feel things which are not necessarily there at all. Um, and you can see how what this would... Imply, I mean, it would imply that when you want to know what is really there, then you should not just uh, rely on your senses, but you should go to the scientist. And so this means, when it comes to dirt, this means that there is no such thing as dirt, because there are just. Particles or particles. Atoms. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so dirt is a byproduct of, uh, I don't know, material processes, if you're a scientist.
1: Yes, and then, yeah, and precisely. And then, of course, there's this. Other fact that uh, we just don't like certain material processes, or, or, or we react to them emotionally, um, and that is actually what what then, uh, for instance, Sigmund Freud would say. I mean, he, I mean, he agreed that dirt is not a really existing thing, but he argued that dirt uh, is something which we, as it were, project. On reality, it's a kind of emotional. Subjective. State, state, yeah, subjective emotional state, which we project outwards.
0: Okay. So, so there seems to be an opposition between, well, well, this type of thinking that you've had to engage with or the history of the philosopher is deeply oppositional. It's deeply opposition. You have subject, object, clean, yeah. dirt,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. moral, immoral.
0: So, uh, I, yeah, I'm wondering, um, you know, when you look at all those thinkers, uh, what makes that that what makes that distinction? Do you think? I mean, you've got nature, and culture as well going on yeah. here. What mm. make uh, what makes that distinction? Why do we think of dirt as the opposition to cleanliness?
1: I mean, all these oppositions. We have a subjective and objective fact and value and so on. I mean, they are there, of course, because they do a job, right? So it's not. It's not as if. We should somehow, you know, get rid of them. So the question is, what is the job that they, they do? And when do you need them? When do you not? <laughs> now, cl- and clearly, for instance, in science, you don't need your position dirt and clean, uh, dirty and clean.
0: Right. So like, yeah, so dirt would be, I don't know. Yeah. So, so, so food would become fetid uh, food would become stale and it would smell bad. and That would be a result of uh, chemical processes.
1: No, no, of course, in, in the laboratory, you need to clean your equipment very carefully. But then in the final product, the, the scientific article, you don't speak about that. You just look at the, the end result and there you don't have, have the idea of goodness and badness. Right. But, but of course, uh, in ordinary life, you can almost never do anything without somehow this distinction coming in. And now, and if you ask me why it's there, I mean, lots of things, lots, lots of things. Um, of course that's, that's, that's simply the health. Health issue, right? But but I would not say that's that's the main issue here at all, because because most of the time uh, when we clean things, it's not because of health considerations. I mean, very often we clean things because we don't like the sight of them as they are. Sometimes it's practical. But I would say generally, actually, as soon as you have the idea that there are things like op- everyday objects, like coffee cups and refrigerators and window panes and CDs, so on. then you have the question how the object should be and how it shouldn't and then you have then you immediately get uh, things like considerations like the fact that things may break, they may get dirty, uh, they were, the, things may be damaged in all kinds of ways or disturbed in all kinds of ways. So as, you, as soon as you have were purposefully made things, Purposefully made objects. Then you have, have <clears throat> questions about what's good for the object and what's bad for the object. And then you get dirt.
0: You're trying to understand dirt in terms of something scientific as something.
1: Not scientific.
0: Sorry, yeah, not scientific. So it's cultural as well. Something cultural, yeah.
1: Mm, mm, mm,
0: right. Now, one of the, have you, when, when you have thought about dirt, have you thought about it in an aesthetic sense? Is it something that you see really useful literary examples or artistic examples, or are they, I don't know, poetic representations of dirt that have been, that have informed your work?
1: Well, very, hm I mean, to be honest with you, not not often really. I mean, you find, when I look at literature, very often there are dystopias where everything is very clean or, or they are trying to Keep everything very clean, like oh, all the Huxley brand new world, so very often I would say in art and literature, well, one important motive would be the fact that uh cleanliness can be um, as it were un unfriendly to life i mean f- f- friend, uh, cleanliness may be hostile to life.
0: Yeah, so we use detergents or stuff like that that like kill bacteria and things, and, you know, it's overly hygienic.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a home where people live, and then you want to clean it up and make it into a completely sterile place. So I think that's a very, very usual motive in literature. And then they react against it, which, in a way, is a good thing, because, of course, for instance, uh, Huxley was writing when uh, there were all these campaigns for uh, hygiene – which, in some sense, were a good thing, of course. Oh, obviously, they were a good thing. But then they also had the racial hygiene. They had all kinds of ideas about mm, creating more discipline in society. Part of this literature reacts against that kind of thinking. But I would, I mean, for my own part, I think today perhaps that's not the, the main problem we have
0: I mean, you do mention, uh, uh, Serrano, I think. Yes. And I think you kind of say in your, in your writings that, you know, that the, that the dirty is everywhere, that the abject is everywhere. It's fashionable now.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, and that, I mean, the idea of, of abject art is fashionable and it's interesting. I mean, there's, I imagine there's, there's a background idea here, which is that, um, Dirt is somehow more authentic and real than uh-huh. I've cleaned up spaces. And when we clean things up, then we are hostile to life. But I would actually, for my own part, I would actually want to look at it from, from a completely different angle. I'd like to turn the tables and, and say that the fact that we clean things actually shows that we care for our environment. So uh, I mean, it means that we take responsibility for what there is around us and uh, we want to keep it in shape. Of course, in in um, the creation story in, in the Bible, that's the um, place where God puts um, Adam and Eve to the paradise and tells them to uh, dress it and keep it. So the idea—that's this basic idea—that we are responsible for our environment. And, and of course, that is both, as well on all fronts. It's it's aesthetic. It's it's uh, practical. It's uh, enhancing the growth of things, and so on, and, and, and also keeping order.
0: There seems to be a sort of a tradition and thought that how could I put this? I mean, in philosophy, for example, I think of someone like uh, Diogenes, mm-hmm. uh, the cynic, and he was. I guess, kind of a counter-philosopher, if you like. He was, you know, he's belching and farting and reveling in feces and all these types of things. Mm. Uh, Foucault says that that the cynical tradition, it it runs through Christianity, it runs through, Mm. you know, sort of the uh, Franciscan, the idea that dirty can be good, that the wretched can be good, that the wretched shall be saved. Is that Mm. something that you have thought of,
1: yeah, I mean, for, for, I mean, okay, I mentioned this, I uh, mentioned this, um, um uh, creation story, but then there are these other stories. I mean, for instance, Jesus encourages us, um, not to think that what we eat, uh, defiles us, but what comes out of the mouth defiles us because out of your mouth come, come lies and bad Deceit. things you say. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, cause he was apparently quite indifferent to any kind of ritual purity. So, I mean, that's one motive which you also find in the Christian tradition. Then, of course, that's this entire ascetic tradition where you don't wash. Yes. Uh, And the Romans had it when they were in mourning, grieving after someone. uh, Then they would not shave and they wouldn't wash. Also, if you were uh, accused of some serious crime, then you wouldn't uh, shave or, or wash until you are uh, clean of the accusations
0: I don't know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? There is this, there is this also this sort of counter tradition that says there is this counter tradition that thinks that being dirty is good.
1: And of course, I mean, given the fact that it uh, that dirty and clean are such omnipresent things in our environment and it, of course in, a, in one sense you might say it must be obvious that there will be all these uh, contradictory traditions and, and ideas because I mean in a way they are just uh, too much everywhere for for that not to have.
0: Yeah you say, uh, what do you say, the dirty is now real life the clean is plastic whereas our longing for purity stands out as a fear of life itself in its full messy uh, detail yeah. 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 So you 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 see uh, you kind of see uh, I think you're in that tradition at least as well. Um
1: okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that's one way. But of course, I think it's important still to remember that normally it's not it, it's not hospitable to life to clean things. I mean, uh, I would rather say the opposite. I mean, we when we clean things, we we help our environment. We, we take responsibility.
0: So someone that you touch on, you talk about um, and I mean, you've alluded to this already you talk about uh, Mary Douglas mm-hmm. and uh, Mary Douglas uh, was the anthropologist and she looked at anthropological discourse on cleanliness and, 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 mm-hmm. and dirtiness and she famously said that uh, dirt is matter out of place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What did That's she your, mean by that? And yeah. what do you yeah. think about that? What?
1: Yeah. And she also said that, that is in the eye of the beholder, it's precisely because it's nothing else but just matter out of the place.
0: It's a subjective, yeah? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, her general idea is that we have a kind of as to a general world view or a vision of a world order, each, every culture has it. And in this order, everything has a place. And then when, when things go to wrong places, then we uh, think of them as uh, polluting or impure. Um, so in the end, uh, what this comes down to is that uh, dirt is about the symbolic order. Of the world. Now, I mean, I think she's onto something important, but I, I don't really believe she gets it right. I mean, first of all, I would say uh, dirt is, of course, a symbol in many kinds of ways. Before you can understand the symbol, you must understand what the thing is. So it, you can't just start by saying that it's a symbol because that's, that's something else behind which is as, uh, as i said it's it's a kind of material reality which which has to do with um how objects and things work for us um how uh, how we identify what's good and what's bad for everyday objects um anyway yeah, so douglas had this idea that uh, dirt is just a symbol and her famous example is um uh, placing Shoes on a dining room table. So she says, um, shoes, uh, on the floor are not dirty. To place them on the dining room table is dirty. And of course we, we very naturally, uh, naturally agree, but I would say mainly because we are now thinking of, uh, dirty shoes and not new shoes straight out of the box. So uh, secondly of course uh shoes on the table clean shoes on the table would be matter out of place but they would not be dirt um so it would me- it would be messy to to place uh shoes your shoes on the table unless you're supposed to of course uh, but um it's not dirty as such so i, I think One problem is one problem with Douglas is that she's very fond fond of her own thesis, which is that dirt is really disorder, and and it's it's symbolic disorder. So then she simply runs together all kinds of disorder. Um, She thinks they are all the same.
0: Dirt uh, for Douglas is something uh, essentially bad. It is disorder. It it, it Mm. represents disorder. It represents mess. Yeah. How would you try and reconfigure what Douglas is saying? You have some misgivings about Douglas. Mm. What do you think would be a better alternative?
1: Now, first of all, I mean, my misgiving would be that we are not opposed to dirt because dirt is a symbol of bad things. We're not opposed to dirt because dirt is a symbol of disorder. We, we, but we think of dirt as the symbol of bad it's because we are opposed to dirt. So here, where the causality goes the other way. I mean, still, I think you know, she 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 has lots of uh, intriguing and good things to say, but but um, I think she's too much too, too much stuck with with her her uh, thesis that um, you should explain dirt in terms of disorder. Now I I I already said something. Uh I mean as I said, um we have this general idea which more or less uh determines everything we do practically. There is this idea that there are things which are good for the objects around us, there are things which are bad for the objects around us. Now of course I mean sitting here for instance, in this room where I'm sitting now, um Actually, everything here is man-made. And and everything here is uh, made to look exactly the way it does. It, everything is purposely made to look in a certain kind of way, and not in another. Uh, and everything is purposely made to uh, function, to function in a certain kind of way. Then it's also... Typical of man-made objects, they are, they either are the way they should be or they are, are in a way they should not be. So things can break and they can be chipped and they can be damaged in all kinds of ways. And of course they can be clean and dirty. So if you think of a material culture, then you must think of a culture where we make judgments like that, uh, where we quite naturally want to keep things in shape and, and then we make these distinctions between damaged and dirty and chipped and, uh, and uh, out of order and so on. So we have a kind of ordinary understanding of the physical environment where, where all these kinds of uh, if you like evaluative ideas come in. And in a way if you want to underst- if you look at the coffee cup and want to, if, if you understand what it is, then you know there are certain things, uh, you, you know that, um, if it's cracked, it's not supposed to be cracked, um, it's supposed to be cleaned every now and then at least. So, um, in a way, you, to understand what an ordinary thing is, is also to understand what's good for it and what's bad for it.
0: And and that and that that differentiates your position, I think, from from Douglas, because there is what you're saying is that there is that it's not just a matter of order or disorder. It's also there's there's almost like a structure of care involved with how we relate to dirt.
1: Precisely, yeah, I would say care is the key word here.
0: Yeah. So, and I mean, that's Mm. that strikes me as something that makes dirt universal is the extent to which we care for it. I mean we care for well we care for all sorts of people don't we we, we could care for humans we care for things we care for mm-hmm. environment we care for mm-hmm. animals mm-hmm. you know I mean I grew I, I grew up in the countryside I uh, I, I remember um, having to clean out houses and things like that. that right the structure of care then leads us to the question of um, I guess morality I mean mm-hmm. the very the very uh, an ethics the most obvious way I think we would could talk about the nature of dirt is that dirt or those who are dirty
1: mm, are the unwashed
0: the great unwashed <laughs> absolutely yeah its indicates some type of type of moral shortcoming, so like yeah, pure and impure, I guess as well that that yeah dirt is an indicator of contagion.
1: Okay. First of all, I mean, we have we have a culture. Well, I guess in all cultures, in some ways, um, some groups in society have the power to define others as less, less pure, and also less civilized uh, than themselves. So, in that sense, uh, dirt is. Used as a kind of weapon, a kind of cultural weapon. So, uh, that's certainly important. Uh, but uh, my feeling still is that um, quite a lot has been written about precisely this aspect of dirt um, and cleanliness. Uh, so you very get, when you read this work, you very easily get this feeling that there's this great conspiracy where, where this uh, concept of dirty and clean has been just imposed on people so that we can then, you know, uh, look down on them. But that's not how it works originally. Um, I mean, we use, I mean, when we want to look down on people, we use the tools we have. And um calling them dirty is a, is a very good tool for that purpose, if that's what you want to do. Uh, but uh that's not how that's not where this whole idea of dirty and clean originates. It originates in all, uh, in everyday life. then we use it elsewhere
0: okay so so you think it's instrumental. In, mo- in a moral sense, it's, it's it's useful for insulting people or degrading people, but that's not where it comes from.
1: Yeah, of course. But, by the way, one, one more thing that uh, it's also true that sometimes, some situation in some situations, you feel dirty, and 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 you have this feeling that it's, ah. you have done something stupid or bad, and it, it sort of cuts you off from other people and makes you untouchable. I mean. You may have this feeling yourself, too.
0: I do, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm from from a Catholic country. So what you're talking about is shame. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Now, one of the things in terms of talking about that idea of uh, morality, in terms of talking about how dirt is a, a figure of everyday life, one thing... Yeah, so again, I'd like to sort of touch again on this sort of uh, distinction between matter and culture. Yeah, and I guess the facts and va- fact and value distinction in philosophy, which you talk a lot about in your in your work. So I guess the fact value distinction. How can I put it? Is how can I summarize it? It's 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 what it's it's the fact value distinction is. A form of a fallacy. It's the, uh, the what's called a naturalistic fallacy, where mm. if something is the case, it is not necessarily a determinant of whether it ought to be the case, or whether mm. if something factually exists, it does not necessarily imply that one should be morally obliged to 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 follow mm. it. So, if just something is just because something is natural, doesn't mean it's good.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. precisely.
0: And how does that that fact value distinction work for you in understanding dirt
1: yeah, I think that's one point where uh that is really interesting because uh at least in philosophy we are used to 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 making this fact and value distinction um and and to be honest often it's very useful um, um and then for instance, we would know that um Science, science tells you that the earth revolves around the sun, but it doesn't tell you if it's a good thing that it should revolve around the sun. Right. Uh, um, okay. And science tells you there's this substance on my hands, which is, which I would call dirt. But uh, science doesn't tell you if it's a good thing or, or a bad thing. Now, what's interesting about dirt here is that it clearly uh, doesn't fit into this um, uh, fact and value distinction at all. Uh, Mary Douglas says um, uh, dirt is in the eye eye of the beholder. But but it really isn't, because, say, if you you have uh, a lot of uh, unwashed dishes uh, in the sink, you can't just... Go and say, well, it's subjective.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Quite of course, right. I yeah. mean, people
1: are some people are more more sensitive to to dirt than others, but but still, they would all agree that um, the dirt is there. So in that sense, it's not just subjective. Uh, it's there. Um, it's a fact in that sense. But then, on the other hand, if you want to understand what kind of a fact it is, then you can't really do that. Without taking in values. Of course, it's quite central that dirt is something that normally should not be there. I mean, if you wash your shirt because, oh, if you wash your shirt because you want it to be clean, no one is asking you any questions. You know, if you purposely go and smear dirt on your shirt, then they'd start asking questions. And you, you might have some good reason <laughs> for, for that, but, but you always need the reason. So if you clean things, you don't need a reason. Make them dirt, you need a reason.
0: I mean, what do you think has been your main contribution, then, to our understanding of dirt?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, as I said, philosophy is about making sense of human life. So, for instance, it's not about finding a good definition of dirt and then seeing if it applies in different cases because i think people already know how to use uh, these words so i don't need to do that i would say how um, i mean my my the difference i see between what i have been doing and what others most others have been doing is that um, others would usually focus on things like disgust the symbolic uh Dimension of dirt. Um, the idea of bodily integrity and how dirt uh, is a threat to your integrity. Plus, plus the general idea that um, worrying about dirt is real may, in some ways, be destructive or, or hostile to life. Now, my, I would say mm, my 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 approach is different. First of all, as I said, because I think it's important to emphasize that. Cleaning is about caring for one, uh, one's environment. Cleaning is about caring for one's environment. Then secondly, uh, I've been mainly focusing on everyday objects. So uh, dirt is um, about how we care for the, for the everyday environment. Um, I mean, looking more closely at this, to be dirty is a shortcoming, as, as we already said. Then, uh, in a way, to be dirty is like being damaged. It also, it's somehow—it's—it's it's a bit like being moist or wet or humid, because there's a thing, and there's, then there's something else which adheres to it. So there's a kind of master object, and then some kind of disturbing substance. Uh, sometimes this is a kind of uh, practical disturbance when, when, uh, for instance, something is actually clogged, or, or you have a CD and it has—you can't play it. But often it's just a matter of aesthetics. It that things don't look the right way. So, uh, the main point here is that when you think of dirt, when you judge if something is dirty or clean, you mainly look at the object itself, the master object. So if you understand what kind of an object it is, then you can see if it's dirty or clean. And, I mean, unless you know how, how a CD is played, then you, can't actually know if it's dirty or clean. plus of uh, course you clean things differently depending on <coughs> on what kind of an object it is so you don't use sandpaper to clean the seed. So there's a kind of distinction between the master object as it is or as it really should be and then the, the extra, extra thing accidental substance which should not be there. And then this of course means that part of the part of what you do when you make these judgments, is that you try to assess what kind of an op... And now that here's here's something I heard from kind of colleague who who works at um, a big national library, and she said um, uh, they have uh, techniques for cleaning books, so they they have custom-made vacuum cleaners for books, and you can even wash them and and iron the pages. And now, earlier some years ago, uh, the the ideal was still that you should try to have clean books. So the ideal would be the new books. You would you should clean books in the way that they look more like new books. But then some uh, librarians have a more uh, conservational approach because the stains and particles, tiny particles, which are there, are part of the history of the old volume. And sometimes this is quite important. For instance, they used a uh, traditionally they used sand in order to, to, to dry the, the the ink and some tiny particles of sand are still there and uh, that may actually help you to locate the place where the volume was made. Now if the question is, okay, should, should we should we clean this volume completely or should we, should we just um, leave it at ease then part of the answer depends on what do you think this actual volume is? I mean, what is part of this book? What belongs to it? And what, what's, what's a kind of extra thing, um, removed? Uh, I mean, we also make this difference. I mean, we also make this distinction between patina and, and, um, stains. Um, but of course that's, I mean, technically speaking, Patina and, and dirt are just the same thing, or more or less the same thing. Yeah.
0: I, sp- I suppose I'm just wondering, Do you, did does your research on dirt make you think of the environment or how we can tackle environmental questions or has it made you think of the environment in a global way?
1: This, perhaps this might be neither here here nor there, but, but now one thing that it seems to be that I'm seeing more clearly or the fact that where the human perception of the world is as it were value laden in a much much more thorough going way than, than I've been I've, I've realized I mean if you think of um, what I said about <coughs> ordinary objects, does this idea that um, with an ordinary object there's all, always something which which is good for it and something which is bad for it and it looks, seems to me now that, uh, you know, we just can't help seeing the world in this kind of way. I mean, there, are, we, I mean, as, it, I mean, if you, if you like, if you like a platonic twist on, on this, then I would say we, our perception of the world is, as that through the good, I mean, we just can't help thinking of the world through the, uh, through our ideas of, What's good for it and what's bad for it, and uh, so so in a sense, I would actually go as far as to say that we have a, some have some kind of an implicit idea of a world order where where things can be good and bad for for the world, and things can be good and bad for us. Uh, I mean, this is I mean, some sometimes this uh, of course this strikes me as very sort of classical Platonic as an idea but, but still somehow i'm just more and more familiarizing myself with that thought i would i would i, I actually still i would want to have your opinion about the last thing about uh, the thing i said about you know coming into a more platonic kind of view of things well i mean what 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 do you think of that i mean this idea that in a way we when we Perceive the world, and in a way, we perceive it through, as we are through the good, or, or Iris Murdoch says something to that effect, too. Or, or we think, think, I mean, we see the world as we are in the light of the good, or, or.
0: Oh, like, so, yeah, so Iris Murdoch talks yeah, about the sovereignty yeah. of the good. Yeah. yeah, the idea that the good is something that is, uh, I guess the thing yes, with the Platonic yes. ideas, though, is always that the, with environmental questions as well, the Platonic idea, I suppose, would be that we need something separate from the world. That the that the that the, the good, the true, is, is 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 that which is immaterial, rather than that which is material.
1: But also that, in a way, as the good gives us a kind of spectacles or or a frame of reference, uh, or what you call it, and then which which helps you see what's good for the environment what's bad for it. Uh, and it helps you recognise things. I mean, that in a sense, we don't recognise things unless we have an idea of you know, what's good for them and what's bad for them.
0: Right. Yeah, so we need a sort of a pre-established idea where we talk. We have a sort of a schematic uh, understanding of what is good is bad.
1: Or or at least implicitly. I mean, perhaps not that we have uh, explicit ideas of, of, of the good, but somehow in the back of our minds... Somewhere, we we suppose it. I don't know. I mean, what what do you think?
0: Well, it makes sense. It, uh, it does make sense to me. I mean, I, and you don't have to be an out and out Platonist. I think to think that. I suppose you could just save it in a in a in a in a, in a general in the general sense of understanding uh, a sense of consensus, perhaps a sense of social consensus, uh, a sense of general agreement within society about those things which are good and bad or those things which are legitimate or illegitimate and once you have that understanding that then can frame how you how you think about the environment
1: as an example of this idea that we see see the world in the light of the good just consider the fact that when you see a potted plant potted plant you can see if it needs water or when it doesn't and when it, or when it dies But... Uh, Now, of course, this is not, it's, it's nothing to do with statistics. It's not that, you know, the average potting plant goes this way and goes that way if you don't water it. But rather, I mean, we see that it needs something. So we see the plant, as we said, through the spectacles of what's good for it.
0: And you think we could apply that to the environment?
1: So in that sense, I mean, we, we wouldn't, wouldn't even recognize problems. If we did not have this, as to expectation, a implicit frame of reference which which includes what
0: we do we do not care for. Yeah, I I wonder is there is there is there a little bit of Heidegger working behind your your, your thought? I think I ask everybody I interview this because I, I I'm very familiar with Heidegger. But Heidegger talks about a sort of a yeah. a structure of care. A structure of and for Heidegger, of care is you know it's not like I con- mm. I, I can I am concerned about my granny or I, I care for steak it's a you know if I am bad I care if I am good I care you know for Heidegger yeah
1: yeah yes yes I mean um, I think one translation they have used is uh, uh, concerned full engagement yeah I mean I, I I read Heidegger I mean I personally I think he's Perhaps too difficult <laughs> for me generally to to, to 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 base my entire philosophy on him, but but I I think uh, the tradition generally where where he works interesting things to say, especially about the environment. Um, someone I actually um, read and who made a great impact on his work is is a Norwegian philosopher. Jacob Miller, and, and he, well, he, he's using Heidegger, but he also is, he's also using Wittgenstein and Marx. His main, main emphasis is this idea that we understand our environment, uh, through practices. He also took up this, um, example, uh, which I mentioned, um, the concept of a place. Nothing is, so nothing is really a place unless you do things around it.
0: Uh, yes. Oh, so, yeah. It's nothing as yeah. A place is the activities you do and the practices you do, rather than just the the, the things within yeah, it. I suppose.
1: Right. So it's oh, it's the activities together with you know, as the physical spot. And yeah,
0: there we are. So we've talked about sort of environmental. We have talked about ethics and uh, aesthetics. Uh, we talked about the other branch of metaphysics, uh, politics. Uh, has this has the role of dirt, have you considered the, the political ramifications of your analysis for
1: <laughs> I think you should you should I mean if you have some ideas i I'd, I'd love, love to hear you um, I, I mean of course I mean of course there are political uh, political uh, associations with this though I'm not sure. If they would have to be that way. But of course there was this general idea that to be radical, if you are radical, then you think fight- uh, cleanliness is hostile to life. And if you are fascist, then you are also <laughs> very cleanly and uh, well, you, then you want uh, ethnic cleansing and, and that sort of thing. So, so of course there are these popular associations in this debate. But I, well, I don't think they are very helpful. So
0: if the if those distinctions are not helpful, what do you think would be helpful for? What what do we need to do to surpass this brutal opposition between cleanliness and dirtiness? Mm.
1: Well, mm. Uh, of course, I mean we have we have we have culture wars, like right, in some sense. So any issue which is taken up, general debates tends to be, be part of, be, become part of those culture wars, and and perhaps um, hmm, that's something you just can't help. Um, but but I think that's, that's something more important to do here, here with, with, uh, with the ideas of dirt and cleanliness. And that is that we should, have, uh, we should be more alive to the kind of everyday experience of, of the material world and our everyday practices. Uh, and of course, this is something which many philosophers and researchers in the humanities have been talking about, about for a long time. And now, of because in the last fifty years or so, um, there's been much more focus on everyday life in the humanities, in 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 history, um, archaeology, um, anthropology, uh, and so ethnology. And 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 I think that's a very good development. So so that is that we have had this kind of um, turn towards the everyday. In the humanities. And as my own feeling is that, um, philosophy has not quite fully embraced that turn to the everyday. Uh, so, um, I mean, I would advocate the kind of rapprochement between philosophy and the other humanities. And if you like, I mean, that, that is a kind of political issue because it is about, uh, well, what kinds of things are meaningful and good to do.
0: Let, let, let's leave it at that. I think that's a really good place to end. Uh, let's leave it with a question, yeah? Thank you very much for your time, Ollie. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Well. Our theme tune is Love the Government by Il Papa Giraffe and is licensed under Creative Commons. You can follow us on iTunes or your preferred podcast app.